And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. Welcome back. Thank you. You called in from the road last week. Yes, for an abbreviated show. Yeah, well, our phones weren't working. so That was interesting. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we tried. We tried. But this week, I think everything's tip top, and we are here for the local coronavirus update. A little bit of an update on the current situation with the Delta variant here in the county. And then we're going to open up the phone lines and take your calls. Same format. As two years. Yep. Uh, 895-2448 is the number here live in the studio. 707-895-2448. What you got? Well, uh, it's actually a good news uh, or good news week uh, for people treating or for people who have COVID. Um, I'll get to that, but... Uh, some good data coming out over the course of the week uh, regarding treatment options for COVID. But first, um, the numbers, if you will. Um, we're still staying stubbornly high in this county. Um, the state is one of the best in the country in terms of rates per 100,000. I think we are um, the second from the bottom, which is good. Um, but here in the county, we're still running about 35 to 40 um, cases per day per 100,000, which is about two to three times the rate of the Bay Area um, counties, higher than Sonoma, equivalent to Lake County, but almost twice that of Humboldt County. I'm not sure why we're seeing this stubborn uh, resistance to a decline that is going on all around us. Um, but that's where we are right now. Um, so we have continued to add during the course of the week about 35 cases per day, um, bringing our total case count up to 7,201. Uh, our hospitalization rate has come down significantly. We're currently down to 11 in, in hospitals in the county, um, two in ICU, so quite uh, quite a drop off there um, from 30 about a month a month to six yeah, weeks ago. That's got to be a relief. Yeah, it's it's a it's a substantial reduction on the pressure that COVID was placing on the healthcare system in this county. So that's very good. Um, but the stubborn high case counts um, are a bit perplexing, honestly. I mean, our, our vaccination rate in this county um, is almost exactly what the state average is. We're right around 58% um, total vaccinated in Mendocino County. Um, you can add about 9 or 10 percentage points to that if you knock out the people who are not yet eligible for the vaccine, so the 12 and under group. Um, but that's kind of where California is as a whole. So why we're doing worse than California, I just don't have a good answer. And I, I frankly don't think anybody really does. Any guesses? Well, not really. Um, you know, Delta does seem to sort of follow the cyclical pattern where it bursts onto an area and really gets a good uh, toehold and spreads quickly through a population. But why we're not seeing the quite as precipitous of a drop-off, I don't mm -hmm. have a good guess. Um, I, I just don't. There, there are too many variables and there's still too many unknowns around around COVID. It seemed like in Humboldt, where they have sort of larger and more population centers than we do, they, they had really high rates and now yeah. it's dropping off. Yeah, and that, that may be part of it. I mean, areas that tended to not have as high of an initial surge during last winter or the spring had a 
pretty sharp spike uh, with this Delta variant in August and September. You can look at Del Norte County and some of the northern Sierras on um, this examples there. You know, the vaccination rate also varies a lot. So California as a whole is 58 or 59 percent, but that goes from, you know, nearly 80 percent in Marin County all the way down to just a notch over 30 percent in Lassen County. So, you know, there's a huge amount of statewide variance, and that does tend to distribute along the uh, red, blue, spectrum of the state as well i hear there's good news nationally yes nationally things are improving we are down to about a hundred thousand cases a day only a hundred thousand cases wow. a day um, but down about 28 29 percent over the course of the last two weeks um, vaccination rates are creeping upward it's around 56 percent um, California's following the national average down about 27, 28% over two weeks with new cases in the state of California around 7,500. So things are continuing to improve um, on a fairly sustained downward slope right now. And the general prediction amongst most people who have been following this is it's going to continue for the next six to eight weeks. Um, beyond that, people are reluctant to really speculate too much just because COVID has continued to surprise us. And we've seen these recurrent surges from either behavior changes um, or these new variants or some combination thereof. It's, it's really still quite a murky pattern why we have such a cyclical, almost a sine wave pattern of um, case rates. Uh, throughout this country or worldwide really headline news this week was that there was a child hospitalized yeah i mean it hospitalized um for oxygen requirements uh -huh. is my understanding i'm um, doing well um but you know still concerning uh-huh yeah but doing well that's yeah. good to yeah. know so and other than that the the good news is there have been these um, monoclonal antibodies that have been getting a lot of attention uh, for quite some time and we've been using them um, somewhat reluctantly at least <laughs> for this provider because we really didn't have good published data showing their efficacy it was kind of lousy unpublished data um, showing that they worked for qualified individuals you know people at high risk of a bad outcome um, or more elderly who had covid and were presenting early enough in the disease course and the thought was that this would help uh, prevent mortality or uh, reduce hospitalization rate and then finally just this week um, the study from regeneron showed um, a very high degree of efficacy um, both at shortening the duration of the symptoms but also hospitalization rate and mortality sort of a a trifecta of effectiveness um, on the order around the threefold reduction. So that's now going to become, I think, the standard of care um, for treating people who are symptomatic with COVID, um, provided that they present early enough in the disease course. Can you talk a little bit more about what that would be? For instance, first, uh, who would be sort of the priority candidate for this treatment? Would it be everyone? And then What's the kind of the protocol? How does it work? Yeah, so it, it's an infusion. Um, it takes a couple hours and then requires an observation time. So it, it is burdensome um, to administer, to be sure. Um, here in the county, uh, we actually have set up a separate infusion center um, that operates on banker's hours. And then we have limited capacity to do that in the ER, depending on volume and whatnot. Um, the, there are qualifying um, requirements for um, getting the medication and 
they're fairly liberal, so it really involves um, about 12 different conditions um, or, or uh, traits that would qualify one. One is age, uh, one is body mass index or weight, and then a lot of sort of the high-risk uh, chronic health conditions that increase uh, the risk of doing poorly with COVID. And if you qualify on uh, any one of those, then you would be a candidate for the infusion. It also requires that you present early enough in the onset of your disease, but that's actually been pushed to 10 days. I think that's a little long um, because I think really the earlier you start, the more likely it's going to have some beneficial effect. So if you get a positive COVID test diagnosis, mm -hmm. how should you access this monoclonal antibody and should and should people should you like your so, next call so, yeah, is so to, to it, this so your next call so if you are symptom if you have a if you're positive for covid um and you are you know over the age of 65 or you have risk factors for doing poorly with covid it's certainly worth a call to your healthcare provider to see if this is something that would be recommended and then the next step would be either that healthcare provider um arrange for your going directly to the infusion center um thereby avoiding sort of the unnecessary and very expensive stop to the er where we might say yeah you should get this and this is where you need to go um or um you know, all things falling through the cracks, you can always come to the ER and we can help make that happen. I don't want to, you know, burden the ERs with a crush of, you know, asymptomatic COVID people who want this and this monoclonal antibody. But the data actually on it now, just just this week is quite good. A week ago, I would have said we don't have the data um, because we didn't but we do now right and if it's a little bit of burden now to stop a much bigger exactly burden and, later, that's, and that's the analysis i mean it's not a cheap medication to be sure but it's a lot cheaper than an icu room even for a few hours and it's not i mean is this still part of the federally provided uh, no. It's not. Oh yeah, don't don't think that. Oh, don't darn. think that the federal government's providing I all COVID like care. I thought it was like vaccinations and nope. tests. No, nope. just, oh, just vaccination state. and tests. That's okay. all you can get free in this country you can't with COVID. Get your, put your hand out for the monoclonal antibodies, huh? No. <laughs> yeah. No, it's and even vaccination and tests. You know, a test administered in the ER is you know not necessarily free. I mean, there's certainly some conditions where it will be, but in general, that is not the cheapest way to get a test, to be sure. Good to know. Yes. We, we have not achieved the promised land of free universal health care. Well, not free, but single payer. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah. Free free to me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. You pay taxes. You'll be paying for your health care one way or the other. True that. Yeah. All right. What else? Are there other treatment options? Yeah, there are, actually. Well, not yet. Um, but Merck has been, has been working on a... Um, a pill variant of a antiviral medication um so sort of like tamiflu which a lot of people are familiar with which is kind of not a very useful medication for shortening the duration of flu symptoms in the case of tamiflu you have to give it within 48 hours of your onset of symptoms and it only shortens your symptoms by about 24 hours so it's kind of like so what but um you know the, the the covid is quite a bit different from the flu and this pill um can be started within five days of the onset of symptoms. So there's really a much larger window to get to get the prescription and get the prescription filled and start the medication. And it also seems to show a very high degree of efficacy at uh, shortening the duration of one's illness um, and lowering the risk of um, poor outcome, ICU bed, or death. Wow. Um, and it's a pill. That's and you take amazing. It, you take it twice a day for five days. Um, that is still not... Um, gone through the FDA EUA, um, but it probably will by the end of the year.
Okay, so it's still in trials. Well, they just are re they just released sort of the raw data showing that this seems to work, and now they're wow. applying for emergency use. What's it called? It's called Molnupiravir. Sorry, yeah. Molnupiravir. That yeah, sounds that like five, a five times Lord of the Rings dwarf. Yeah, I think it is actually based on some Norse mythology. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds yeah. like yeah. little molten yeah. the hammer, yeah, Thor's exactly. hammer. Um, and how does it work? It works similar. It disrupts the the virus's ability to replicate. So it, it it disrupts the RNA replication process, kind of the way some of the antiviral HIV uh, medications work. Um, the difference being this one seems to have a very low um, side effect profile and a very good safety profile from what we've seen so far. So Mjolnir. <laughs> Molnupiravir, yes. <laughs> we'll have that by the end of the year? Potentially, yeah. That's exciting. That's yeah, amazing. Nice. I didn't even know that was in the works. Yeah, well, I mean, I figured everything's in the works. Everything's but. in the works. And, you know, people are trying to get ahead of themselves with some of these things. And, you know, we actually have a fairly robust supply at the moment of the uh, monoclonal antibodies in this county um, without the data supporting their use. And now suddenly the data dumped. So that's that's good news indeed. When you say a three-time reduction, how, what's the percent? Like... Can you give us a, a sort of some other ways of understanding? Yeah. So, what that for example, if you're talking about a five percent risk in some um, some fraction of the population of going to an ICU bed, you'd be talking, you'd be looking at a one and a half percent. Um, one and a half percent of those people actually going to the ICU bed if they receive the monoclonal antibody compared to a five percent. So that's you know that's a three time reduction. That's it's quite substantial. Um, another number that people tend to talk about, healthcare providers tend to talk about, is how many people you'd have to treat um, to prevent a death. Uh, so it's the number needed to treat to prevent a whatever outcome you want, and it's usually a death in in something like this case. And the number needed to treat with this regimen, this monoclonal antibody regimen, is about 33, um, which is a very low number. So you need to treat 33 people to prevent one death. That's 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 a very good ratio, actually, for a medication. That's extraordinarily good. Really? Mm -hmm. Sounds like a lot of infusions. Yeah, but if you infuse, you know, 100 people and you're preventing three of them from dying, that's, that's pretty good. really good. Yeah. And you've got plenty. You uh, well, for the moment, I can uh -huh. see a run on this. Uh -huh. yeah. Especially if our numbers don't come down. Right. All right. Anything else? I think that's enough for now. That's a lot. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks, Drew. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. We're going to go ahead and open up the phone lines at 707-895-2448. And we've got our first call already on deck. So let's try it. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, wonderful. Hey, what are the known side effects of this miracle drug? And also regarding, I've noticed that when they give the results that sometimes only so such a percentage of people that had the uh, that that took this new um, vaccine, for instance, mm -hmm. only a certain percentage get it. How do they know they were even exposed to it? Um, all right. So the, the side effects, you know, again, this is it's still fairly novel, right? So we're looking at one clinical trial so far with a lot, without a lot of sort of real use data. Um, and as I recollect from the top of my head, I think it involved around 4,500 people. 
um, half of whom got the got the monoclonal antibodies and half who got the placebo infusion, um, which would be just normal saline. It was double-blinded, you know, placebo-controlled type of trial, so it's a robust study. Um, and the side effects actually weren't any different between the placebo group and the treatment group. Um, so very, very good side effect uh, profile indeed. Um, I haven't seen, I don't think they have enough data to really break it out in some of the sort of fine-tooth way that we see now with the vaccine now that we have, you know, 200 million people have gotten the vaccine in this country, and you can start talking about young men being at slightly increased risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. Um, but um, the profile on this actually seems to be quite good um, from what we know so far. Um, as to your question as to whether they know they've gotten it, gotten the drug or gotten the COVID? Not so much that, but um, when they do a test of 30 or 50 or 200,000 people, and those who had the vaccine, only a small percentage got, the, you know, hardly any of them got the virus. How do they know they were even exposed in the first place? Well, they don't. Um, they're really just looking at the, the test positivity. Um, I see. And, you know, it, it, that's a good question, actually, because so, one question that a lot of people had about this um, monoclonal antibody um, treatment was, do people have antibodies beforehand um, hmm. to the to the COVID, um, and thus would that change the data? And they actually screened a substantial cohort uh, in the trial, and it really still showed um, similar efficacy, um, which is okay. which is interesting, right? Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much for your service here to the public. Appreciate sure. it. Yeah. Right. That's Take care. Such an interesting question. It's like you know when they do those home hardening tests and they spray um, embers. To see if the house will start to burn with the different treatments. It's not like that. Let's see if that works. They're not spraying COVID at people to see if everybody gets it. It's just how the average. We need need some COVID crash test dummies, right? Ugh. All right. (laughs) Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hey, I've got two questions for you. Good. Um, The first, I think, is simple. Was there any way to tell if there was a surge of cases after the fair? And then the second question is... um, It's a little delicate, but I'm very disappointed with our health director, and I'm wondering uh, how is he appointed, how long is the term, what can someone who is disappointed do, if anything, about that? Sure. So as for your first question about the fair, which is a fraught subject a month ago, to be sure, um, we're we're really not, it's really hard to say, right? I mean, talking about double-blinded, placebo-controlled, we don't have a county with and without a fair in sort of identical situation. I don't think a lot of cases have been tracked back to some massive super spreader event at the fair, not that I've seen. Um, Whether it's contributing to sort of the sustained, slightly higher numbers in this county, Perhaps, but we're not seeing a greater number of people in the Anderson Valley way that are suddenly um, testing positive for COVID. And there is arguably a disproportionate attendance at the county fair from the Anderson Valley region. However, there's also greater vaccination uptake in this region. So it's there's a lot of variables um, that make it almost impossible to say whether this was a dangerous super spreader event or not. You know, in the end, when the dust settles, it probably is going to have resulted in, you know, 10 to 20 cases, maybe maybe twice that number. But it's certainly not pushing any strain on the healthcare system at this point. Right. Well, it was certainly ill, ill-conceived, in my opinion. I mean, other fairs were requiring um, proof of vaccination to get in. That was my that was my ongoing argument. But and, you know, know. We, we all ha- we always have to, you know, um, pick 
profit over, you know, public health. Oh, well. <laughs> well, the, the public health, you know, the Department of Public Health in this county did authorize the fair to go forward in the way it went forward. And I know. They could, have, they could have decided back in May, if you're going to do this fair, this is the way you need to do it safely. I know, which is why I'm really disappointed with yeah. our health director. So that so. brings us to question number two. Um, yeah. He is not elected. He is, a, he is hired by the Board of Directors. Um, board of Supervisors. Board of Supervisors, excuse oh, okay, me. Good. Um, and so he serves at their pleasure, more or less. I don't think he has a, con- a a lengthy contract. It might be month to month, or it might be a year long contract. I don't re- I don't know the details of that. Um, so your board of supervisors or your supervisor is the person to reach out to. Frankly, the person that controls the levers in the county is Carmel Angelo, so I would reach out to her as well. Um, she is the one who supported and insisted on Dr. Duhan staying on at the tune of $100,000 a year um, while she is ensconced in Santa Barbara or some other place. Um, so, yeah, so those are, you know, those are, those are the people that I would uh, voice your displeasure to. Okay, thank you so much. Yep. All right, thanks for the call. The lines are open. 707-895-2448. 895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update. We're starting to veer off into politics, so maybe the lines will start to... You know, you can't talk about medicine without talking about politics. It's true, and... um, Oh, saved. I'm saved by the light. (laughs) We have our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, is your radio on? Yeah. Okay, go ahead and turn it off. All right, go ahead. Um, okay, I kind of got in on, what, what is this, ant, the, what you were talking about, the new miracle drug? Well, I, that's not, that's, I didn't call it a miracle drug, just to be clear. No, 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 yeah. I know, but... What, what is it called? Well, it's it's a it's basically a cocktail of two different uh, mon- synthesized monoclonal antibodies um, made by Regeneron. Um, it's an infusion. It's a one-time infusion that you get over the course of about 120 minutes. It has to be administered in a hospital or hospital-like setting. So think of like a chemotherapy center, if you will. Um, right. And, That's all I need to know on that one. Okay, good. Because I got in on the rest of the conversation. Okay. Um, what I was initially going to call about was this, when somebody, and I don't know exactly, Remdesivir? Remdesivir, yep, Remdesivir, yep. Is that something that is automatically given to your COVID patients when they come into the hospital? Interesting question. Boy, we're really getting into the nitty-gritty of COVID care. Um, it, there was some data earlier on showing that this could be effective. Um, it's been around for quite a while, so we knew the medication had already been authorized. Um, it was FDA-approved and had been available for treatment for other viral conditions. Um, unfortunately, over the course of the last six to eight months, the, the data on that has really shown almost no efficacy whatsoever. Um, and so it has been, you know, we've been moving away from its administration um, in the emergency room, certainly, and actually for in the inpatient uh, setting as well. So it, it was, there was some interest, there was some utilization by some providers, providers. I never prescribed it or used it because the data was never all that good. Um, and now it's sort of fallen out because the data has just gotten worse. Thank you. I would like to pass this information on to a non-vaxxer who says everybody who goes into the hospital gets this and they're dying from a kidney function. It's actually damaging their kidney function. And 
I don't know where she got her information, but I will pass this information on to her. Yeah, good luck with that. I mean, to yep. be sure, um, you know, COVID, <laughs> COVID can, you know, cause kidney problems as well. Um, it, it disrupts the vascular system, and the kidneys are extremely vascularized, um, and so it, it can uh, sort of push people who have mild renal impairment to more significant renal impairment and the people that are sort of hanging on barely avoiding dialysis have been pushed into dialysis um, after COVID illness. So, but you're saying that COVID is causing that, yes. not this medicine. She's saying, oh, no, it's the medicine that they were giving was yeah, causing no, I mean, the, the medicines, that whole class of medication can be, you know, it has to be, you know, used with caution, um, particularly in renal patients. Um, but no, it's not like this medicine's being thrown at everybody with COVID and that's causing the kidney failure. That's that's uh, putting yeah, the cart okay. before the horse. Thank you. Yep. Believe me or not, I don't know, but I will pass this on to her. Well, good luck. Thanks Thank you. for the call. Thank you so much. Is remdesivir the steroid? No, that's Decadron. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, good to, good to be or reminded. Or dexamethasone, excuse me. Yeah. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, thank you. Uh, re- regarding this um, comparative uh, trial that it was given against uh, a saline solution, and you said the side effects were equal? Yeah, more effective. What, what yeah. does that? What does that say about the, about uh, placebo effect and you know why why there's side effects from a saline solution? Right. I'll take so, my answer in the air. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a really good question. Like, why do you, why do people have have a benefit from a placebo treatment? And you know that that has or been side effects from saline. Yeah, so that has been shown to be you know generally replicated uh, you know hundreds of times in hundreds of studies. There is some un yet recognized um, effect from perceiving that you're getting a treatment when in fact your treatment is just salt water, sterile salt water. Um, But that is kind of how medicine has progressed for the last hundred years at this point is you compare it toward to you compare any um, agent or any treatment to this placebo um, and look for a difference because if there's no difference then you can just treat people with a placebo but you know ethics also prevents me from treating people with placebos in the emergency room or really in any setting even though we know that they actually do have a small beneficial effect you can really look to the entire field of chiropractic for back pain for example and you know compare that to a placebo effect and there's just no difference in, in, in outcome is that why they provide the placebo as a comparison? Yeah, you need a you need you a can't control just do group. Nothing. You can't do nothing. You, well, you, you there are observational trials, mm-hmm. right? So you can simply say what happens if we give X or Y people this medication and see what happens. But you don't really have that very well regulated or controlled in a way that that you make some sound inferences unless you make the trial so large that you really can start to make some really robust inferences. But that's very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole field of surgery is, you know, is is confounded because you don't really do placebo-controlled Ugh. knee replacement surgeries no. or even back surgeries in general, although there have been some studies on, on that. But, you know, most surgery, for example, is done because, well, you see something there that needs to be cut on and you cut on it. Um, but it's not as though that is validated by uh, placebo control 
controlled trials. Now, the management and the treatment and everything else is, um, but the actual the actual surgery is certainly. Wow, not. that's so interesting. Yeah. So you don't cut into people and not take anything out to see. Well, they have done, they have done sham surgeries for like back pain, like herniated disc, to see if surgery is effective or not. And lo and behold, the placebo sham surgery sham surgery is just as effective oh. as the real surgery. Yes, I was afraid you were going to say that. Yep. Okay, let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, I'm calling uh, about the uh, booster shot. I'm a person over 70 that has had the Moderna shot. And after the Moderna shot, I was diagnosed with having a heart murmur. And I know that there are some myocardiolitis effects from uh, some of the vaccines. Right. And I also heard that when we get boosters, some of the younger males are succumbing to cardiac myocarditis from over vaccination, meeting to, uh, and uh, and at a high degree of antibodies in your body with a small body mass that can't absorb them. And I know this person said that the antibody tests were free in Europe and that they're about $200 here to get a baseline antibody test to see if your antibodies are waning and if you need a booster. So can you discuss that a little bit? Sure. So just to back up and, and your question about the booster, there's only one booster that's currently available and authorized, and that's the booster for the people that have received the Pfizer vaccine. Um, and that's not available. The booster is not available to anybody except um, people in high-risk occupations, such as healthcare workers or nursing home workers or uh, assisted living facility workers or, um, or, or the like, or people who are over the age of 65. They had already previously authorized it for people with significant immune suppression. So that's the only one that's currently authorized. Uh, Moderna is still going through the review process. I suspect that they're going to authorize that booster sometime by the end of the month or early November. J&J &J is similarly going through a review process. Keep in mind, J&J &J was the one-time uh, vaccine, and now they're discussing whether it should be a two-dose vaccine, essentially, with a booster given, um, you know, some interval after the first one. So that's where the current booster um, shenanigans stand. Um, Pfizer only. Pfizer only, currently. Um, and but the others are in the pipeline. The others are in the they're pipeline, yes. And I, I have little doubt that they will ultimately be recommended. And now your question about myocarditis um, is is a good one. We have learned that people do develop um, at a slightly disproportionate rate um, instances of myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart muscles um, after getting the vaccine. The J&J &J seems to be the biggest culprit in this regard, um, and it seems to be most prevalent in um, young men and men in, under the age of 35. Um, and so that is a consideration. However, um, the rate of myocarditis triggered by the vaccine is approximately one-third to one-quarter the rate of myocarditis triggered by um, COVID in an unvaccinated cohort. Um, and so 
you know, if you're doing the risk benefit of, uh, of getting myocarditis, you're better off um, getting the vaccine and hoping you don't end up in this very small fraction of people getting getting that inflammatory condition versus getting COVID and getting that inflammatory condition along with everything else that COVID will deliver to you. Um, so that's that's where things stand. Myocarditis is quite rare. You know, I don't want to sort of go down this wormhole, but it's on the order of maybe um, two to three cases per 100,000, maybe even um, five times that, because a lot of people just sort of have mild chest discomfort after the vaccine and not really prevent to uh, present to attention and get the test that would allow us to diagnose it. The good news is it's self-limiting in the vast majority of cases. Your heart muscles get a little bit inflamed and then things sort of go away and the inflammation abates and your heart goes back to doing what it typically does quite well. Does myocarditis that contribute to a heart murmur? No, not not generally. The heart murmur involves your valves, and myocarditis involves the the pumping muscles. So your heart murmur shouldn't, you know, theoretically put you at increased risk of getting myocarditis. And again, you I think said you were seventy, which puts you well out of sort of the range of people that we're seeing uh, with increased risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. And how about the uh, over-vaccination uh, with the increase in antibodies with a third booster shot, possibly? Um, how do we know that our antibodies are waning? And in some people, actually, when they get the shot, they don't produce antibodies because of their suppressed immune system. So how do we know if we should get a booster But if our antibodies are waning? Yeah, we, we, we really don't is the answer. And there's not, I mean, you referenced the European model that does quite a bit more antibody testing. Um, but it's not as though this is a yes-no test. It's very hard to interpret a single or even a panel antibody test for COVID to determine how good your immunity is or how you may expect it to function the next time it encounters the virus. So there's not a good $200 or otherwise test that says, yes, your, your immune system is primed and uh, attuned to um, fighting off the next COVID exposure. So that that's a problem. It's not just as simple as a sort of yes-no you know, pregnancy test, if you will. Um, and that is why, in general, we haven't moved toward robust um, antibody testing to determine who and when people should get a booster. What we do know, um, and I think you're sort of alluding to this is some people just don't mount a very good antibody response to the vaccine. Um, and those people tend to be immune suppressed for whatever reason, which is why those people are are being encouraged to get a third shot. And frankly, I think ultimately it might even be a fourth or fifth shot over the course of a year or two if you're truly immune suppressed. And I'm talking if you have a solid organ transplant or you're on chemotherapy. In your case, it might actually make sense to see an expert get some antibody body testing and try to figure out where things stand before you you know get the jab repeatedly all right caller thanks for that question or those questions is that a thing of uh, over having too many of these antibodies in, in your body no well so the part the reason why we're seeing you know sort of at the biological level why we're seeing increased risk of some of these side effects from the vaccine in the younger population is your immune system is more effective and so it's responding in an exaggerated way to the insult that is this vaccine right so your vaccine is you know your vaccine is presenting an antigen that your body is learning how to recognize and you know the immune system tends to go get into you know high alert mode uh, when it meets a novel 
antigen, um, which is what the vaccine is. And so if you keep presenting that, then you're going to keep triggering that immune response. It's not like you're going to overwhelm it with repeated exposures um, and cause some sort of increased risk of a bad outcome. There's really not any evidence to suggest that is happening. But we do know that, you know, the vaccine does have a very small risk associated with it. Um, it's not zero. Nothing is. Um, and the benefits, the efficacy, the increased efficacy of immunity is marginal when you're talking about boosters versus vaccination of completely unvaccinated people, which is why we're spending so long trying to figure out who and when and where people should get the booster. All right. Let's take our next call. It's 895-2448 here in, with the local coronavirus update on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hello, caller. You still there? Yes. All right. You're on. Okay. Thank you so much for all of this uh, volunteerism you have been doing over the course of almost two years. And I wanted to just say that I I heard you say that the cases in Mendocino County for COVID are going down. But would you please discuss the death rate? in Mendocino County for July, August, and September, which I believe are steadily going up. Yeah, so we have been, we've seen a significant number of deaths, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think in um, the beginning of July, we're hovering around the mid to high 40s, um, and we're now at 84 for the last published data, um, which represents, you know, 35 cases for 35 um, deaths in the county. Um, all but a small, less than a handful, I believe, are um, in people who are not vaccinated. Um, and so given the fact that we had universal vaccine availability um, early in the summer, um, the, these 30 deaths in this county were entirely avoidable. Well, I hate to contradict you, but in the last round of um, announcements from public health about the deaths, we, yeah. had, we had a series of nine deaths six of the people were post-vaccination but they were extremely elderly six total or six of those nine six of the nine oh, well that's new data to me yeah. yeah yeah so but uh they were talking about the need for healthcare workers to be vaccinated to prevent bringing the virus into elderly vulnerable people in congregate situations yes and that's you know that's been driving the california requirement that healthcare workers be vaccinated um that went into effect october 1st um and in this county i think there's actually been fairly good um enforcement of that requirement so yeah so there you go six out of nine maybe even uh, you know, eight or ten all total then were vaccinated um, who succumbed to COVID. Those people tend to be um, on the whole quite elderly with comorbidities. Um, so you come in on dialysis or on chemotherapy with, you know, high stage heart failure um, and you have COVID, you know, vaccinated or not, that puts you at a very high risk. Um, and, you know, that that's unfortunately the reality. It's also why, you know, there's there's continued anguish about people not getting vaccinated just to get this under control so it's not being spread um with such a high test positivity in this county still yes thank you so much and please keep us updated on those uh very dear and close um you know community members of ours that have uh, passed due to this covid pandemic and thank you again all right all right thank you caller all right, let's take another one. 
Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Any answers as to why the vaccination rate is so low in um, Casper and Elk? I yeah I, I I don't know frankly I, I saw those numbers as well and I don't know if that represents some sort of aberration or whether that data is actually you know correct. Um, what were they? Yeah, they were about ten points lower than some of the surrounding wow. coastal areas. Um, so, and, and it's been a constant thing. It's not something that just turned up. It's- We've been behind all along. I mean, there are not very many people in Casper and Elk, so it really could literally be two households in each community that are are keeping those numbers lower. I I just I just don't know. I mean, it's it's a pretty small small sample size um, to be sure. It, it's hard to make any inferences from from that. But yeah, it's, yeah, it, thanks a lot. Yeah, I mean, the, right. the the more vaccine hesitant regions of the county tend to be, um, you know, in the Willits area, um, east of Willits, and then in the Redwood Valley, Potter Valley area. That tends to have lower vaccination rates in general. Um, and then there are, you know, pockets of Ukiah, certainly, that have lower vaccination rates. And the rest of the county's higher uh, in general, although it does tend to be fairly low in the um, Round Valley, Covalo area as well, and that really bespeaks sort of the, the disparities of care that are available in that quadrant of this county. Yeah, I wondered about that for Casper and Elk too, but yeah, they're Casper, so close the, to Fort Bragg. Yeah, yeah, they're you know they're not exactly massively impoverished communities either. No, Covalo is actually doing better than Casper. Yeah, it's yeah, I know it's. I, I don't really believe that to be honest, but that's that that's the that's the published data right now, huh. um, which is curious to say the least. But you know, it's it's a small, pretty distributed county with pretty low population density, and you know, all things being equal, you're going to see this weird random pattern as well. And whether that happens to be falling on the Elk Covalo uh, collection of households, um, you know, I don't know what Branscombe looks like either. But you know, that's that's another question, right? All right, caller. Well, thanks so much for the question. It was super interesting. Yeah, keep up the good work. Thanks for the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Come on, Casper. <laughs> and I, I just feel like you could like walk down the main street, the street of those two communities, and like you know bring the numbers up very quickly. Right, uh, individuals yeah. make a difference here. Yeah. Significant yeah. difference, Elkians. Yeah. All right, uh, we have an email question. Can vaccinated people spread COVID? Does the virus mutate in a vaccinated individual? Yeah, so good questions. Um, yes, vaccinated people can spread COVID. Um, it's thought to be reduced by about 50% or maybe even a bit higher than that. Maybe uh, it occurs one-third as often um, in vaccinated people when compared to unvaccinated people. The Delta variant has um, driven it up to those numbers. The numbers were thought to be lower before the Delta arrived on the scene. Um, the virus doesn't really mutate within a person. So you don't you generally don't get infected with say non-delta and then produce delta. But that is how these strains emerge, right? So every time it replicates, um, it has a potential to mutate um, and develop into a new strain and that strain then may have some evolutionary advantage and gain a toehold which then takes over the world like delta. So that happened um, to somebody somewhere. Um, and that probably happened, you know, a year ago at this point, and we didn't start to see it until this past winter, and it didn't really get a toehold until this summer. So it takes a while for that all to develop. It's not, however, as though that um, patient Delta Zero, if you will, um, 
noticed any difference um, or experienced a COVID illness in a different way. It doesn't seem to work that way. All right, 895-2448 is the number to call. It's the local coronavirus update. It's about 345, so we'll go until 4 o'clock. The full hour. The full hour. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi, this is Fred calling from Yorkville. Hey, Fred. Hi, Fred. I called in about a month ago. I'm the breakthrough case that uh, was had both shots, and I still uh, caught COVID. Yeah. Which I, I was lucky. Uh, the vaccine saved me, and I never got sick. Good. Uh, so that's that's the way it's supposed to work. Yep. At the senior center. And I'm going to continue to do so as long as they have that offer out there. Okay. And I think we should encourage everybody to regularly get tested. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think regular testing is certainly a good um, thing. It really helps um, the public health department um, get better data. Right now, our positivity rate is 8% or thereabouts, um, which is a very high positivity rate, which doesn't necessarily uh, translate to high rate of transmission in the county, but it does translate to under testing, which is to say people are generally getting tested if they're symptomatic or worried that they're symptomatic or have a known positive close exposure and thus they present for testing. It would be nicer to get more widespread testing just so we have a better sense of where it's where it's headed. Um, so get tested by all means, but in general, and this is one caveat for the individual um, amongst us rather and sort of the public health-minded amongst us, uh, it doesn't really translate to any change in one's behavior too much. Um, So you can get tested, and it's nice to have a negative test, but that negative test doesn't really um, give you carte blanche to think that you're, you know, you're free and clear of COVID for, you know, the next 48 hours or 72 hours. It does have a limited role. So if you're going to be getting together with people at high risk of having COVID and, you know, for some sort of an event or something, then getting tested certainly can allay people's anxieties a bit before a gathering. You can say, I was COVID negative as of this morning or this afternoon. That's nice to know. It's not a guarantee, um, but it is a slight uh, increase in protection. Yes, absolutely. But the point I was going to make is uh, if we got, if all of us got tested every week, and then we came up positive, we'd be able to probably tell where we got it. Yeah, I mean, probably, but the the, the contact tracing has proven to be, uh, let's just say, limited um, as applied yeah. and as utilized, not just in this county, but in, in this country. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's hard to say, really, without much more robust capabilities around contact tracing to say where you got it necessarily. The other problem that we are encountering is with 35 cases uh, per day um, and, you know, some some 7,000 cases, you know, in the past year and a half, which represents a gross undercount to be sure, um, there's COVID really everywhere, right? And frankly, one of the things that my providers and I are scratching our heads over is how can there still be so many people that are presenting with symptomatic COVID? I mean, we, you know, we have 7,000 cases with, a, you know, approximately a 60% vaccine rate. Um, yeah, the, the, the percentage of people that have antibodies to this virus has to be in the high 80s at this point, maybe low 90s. You know, you can still get sick from COVID, but it's also why we're not getting overwhelmed in the healthcare uh, system right now. So it's it's yeah. 
but your your point is well taken you know get tested uh, get tested early get tested often um it's it's good to do on a personal level and it's very good for public health as and well and it is still free it is still free yes yep. it's one of the yep. few free and it's quick and it's totally painless i yes. don't know why anyone would want to not get tested it's i mean i wouldn't like go for a date but uh to get tested it's not fun but it's not like it used to be well, it sometimes like... dates aren't that much fun either so, i don't you know. remember anyway um okay thanks okay. fred i'm thanks. glad You're that you great. did so well thank you so much thanks okay uh there are new breathable masks that are see-through asks an emailer have these been tested yet it looks like a person has masked but they are not correct i Boy, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That one went right over my head. Um, I'm not sure how a see-through mask would actually work to uh, arrest aerosols and droplets. So I suspect um, that those are not going to be effective. But I don't know. I haven't seen any data on that at all. And I certainly haven't seen them in use yet. Snake oil. Yeah. There there will be grifters. (laughs) Let's take our next call. Hello, call. You're live on the air. All right. Well, you guys are doing a bang-up job. Thank you for carrying on as you do. Um, I've got one for you. Good. How did the lions and tigers at those zoos, I think they're, they're in San Diego, how did they get COVID? That is such a good question. <laughs> I'll leave that for you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I, I just... I, I I don't know. I really don't. Um, you know, and you know the fact that you know animals can carry this virus. It certainly speaks to the fact that this can um, jump species fairly readily. We know viruses like to do that. Um, curiously, we still haven't found the source animal um, or the source animal population for this virus in any verifiable way. And you know, the Chinese government is certainly fueling conspiracy therapy. Uh, f- uh, theories with their continued um, obstruction of that investigation. But hmm. how it jumped to the lions and tigers and bear in the San Diego Zoo, well, it probably jumped... A bear? No, I just... I, oh. just got, I had to get Wizard and Ozzy on this. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so. I'm thinking there was a county fair involved. Well, maybe there was a you know somebody running for California governor involved. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but it probably jumped from a, a zoo caretaker right um you know that's that's probably how i got into that enclosure mm-hmm. or they went somebody went to a concert the bear or yeah, the lion the lion yeah. the tiger yeah. well i went to a concert this week wow. actually i have to say it was the first time i ever had to show my vaccine card wow i i you know yeah. you flashed it i flashed it yeah. they put a, like a, an x on the back of my hand but it was great and it was outside just it felt incredible i'm surprised that they were asking for that that's good to know yeah well i had to show my vaccine card twice this week i also went to an event at a at the coyote valley casino and they were looking at uh vaccine cards so people are doing it yeah for sure yeah all right it's uh 895-2448-707-895-2448 this is the local coronavirus update I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. This is KZYX, and we do this every Monday from 3 to 4. We took a tiny little break when things looked like they were ramping down, and then we came back uh, four weeks later uh, to continue with this hour-long Q&A on Monday afternoons. It was a good month, that July break. It was. We all look back on that month. Remember when we kind of started to go out to coffee without a mask on and stuff yeah well some of us did oh yes right you did not (laughs) still haven't gone out to eat huh 
oh, you know, cautiously outside. It's, you know, it's, it's a reasonable risk at this point. Fish and chips at Noyo. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. a good life. Yeah. All right, well, I mean, the phone lines are open. That's so. that's remarkable. We, yeah, we probably we just stumped them with the, with the zoo question. I mean, I, I didn't think I was going to get into, you know, veterinary medicine, but sometimes that's what I practice in the ER as well. Well, when you talked about um, China uh, obstructing the investigation into that, what what is that, that, that story? That delved away from the local component of this show. Okay, um, the, the global coronavirus Yeah, they've, they've just, they have um, blocked further... Um, researchers from the WHO and from the CDC to look into try to tracing the origins of, of the virus, um, you know, which is thought to have emerged from Wuhan somewhere. You know, there is unfortunately a giant virology lab in that province as well that was researching this kind of virus. So it lends itself well to... Conspiracy theories? Yes. But they might not... I mean, yeah, you can be sure that, you know, there is... A extensive effort in China trying to, you know, implant, if you will, um, the original strain of the virus in some native po- animal population, just oh. so they can point to that animal. I mean, it's you know, it, it's cr- it's crazy, right? I no. mean, why why wouldn't they be allowing people in to sort of investigate this? Who knows? What did you just say? Right. That's the most out there thing I've <laughs> ever heard you say. Is this real? No. Okay, no, thank no, you. No. Shoot. It's right okay. up there with the bear. Because yes. no, I, but my point is, you know, it it, it lends itself well to crazy, okay. unsupported, <gasps> you know, thinking. Um, and you know that that's what's hap- that is what happens when you have, you know, closed off decision making. So you are not saying that China is currently in the process of implanting the original virus strain <laughs> into bats and I am making no such pronouncement. Armadillos. What was the other what was the other animal that the you pangolin. The pangolin. The yeah, I'm, I'm still holding on to the pangolin, but you know the the, the, the smart money's on the bat. The bat or the lab. <laughs> Okay. Eight nine five two four four eight. We've got five minutes left here, folks. Well, four minutes. We could get one more question in. Yeah, but no, I think we've scared everybody off. Nothing about a pangolin. Okay, here we go. Last question. Hey, caller, you're live caller? on the air. Hi. Uh, just a. Uh, I'm sorry. Turn off my radio. There we go. Uh, just a quick question, and I take the answer off the air. Okay. Uh, is this show runs on Mondays, which I listen to quite often, and it's very informative. The other days of the week, um, I was going to ask if you knew of, of another uh, advice line or radio show. I've heard of Peak, uh, FEMA having a, uh, I think the call letters are Cal Hope, H-C-A-L-H-O-P-E. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but yeah, they're I, supposed to talk about FEMA. Yeah. I, I I haven't heard of that particular show. Um, I know the county does their briefings on Fridays. And now they're back to every other Friday. I can't keep up because for a while KZYOX was not carrying them live. Right. Well, we're not carrying them live. I do podcast them with right. the local coronavirus update podcast. But they didn't have one last week. They will have one this week. So, yeah, I can't really direct you to other type of call-in shows of a similar ilk. I'm pretty sure there's not one in this county. Um, there okay. are there are a lot of sort of more medically oriented um, 
you know, grand round type of events um, where people are asking questions or typing in questions. UCSF, Johns Hopkins, a lot of the UC schools are all running these on a weekly basis. They've moved away a little bit from doing COVID quite so robustly because, you know, there are still other diseases out there that need to be discussed, um, believe it or not. Um, but those exist um, and they're worth looking into because they are generally uh, extremely informative. Um, and they talk about really interesting um, evolving aspects of COVID knowledge and COVID care. I see. The reason I asked, I heard about it actually about a year ago when, you know, there was a lot of anxiety at initially. Um, and I did call and I did get an answer, and but I didn't pursue it. You know, I, I live in Humboldt County, but um, I reminded of it because I listened to your show and it's so great. So, Thank you for your time. I just thought I'd ask. Yeah. All right. All Thanks right. for listening from all the way up in Humboldt. Yeah. That's great. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, yeah, I have been asked, and we just have two two minutes, but I have been asked by people where your sources are and where you get, why you know so much all the time. Where do you, what oh, do you follow? because I'm a doctor. So, but are all doctors like you reading this Thankfully, stuff? Thankfully, no. <laughs> <laughs> Any of my colleagues will tell you that immediately. <laughs> but if people wanted to in, get informed uh, from the same sources that, that you're following, yeah, what are the best just, ones? You know, you spend a lot of time. I mean, it's not like you can just pick up a New England Journal of Medicine article no. and, and make heads or tails of it unless, That's why you unless, come you've, here. unless you've studied that and you're able to sort of break it down as to what's a good study or not but that's you know i go to the source materials as they're published in the journals um generally um you know i don't subscribe obviously to every journal but you can get a lot of them online um and then there are also medical sort of synthesizing um organizations that send out uh, sort of a summary of the latest data on a weekly or monthly basis and that's where i get a lot of my information as well but it, it's it's not like there's one good source and a lot of it gets pretty you know technical or in other words be boring um pretty quickly um and most of it frankly is just garbage um and so you know there's you know there's several hundred medicines that are being investigated for possible um, use in covid um but so far we are at a total of um three right so it's um you know it, it's just a lot of chaff before you get to some of the wheat all right, well, that, well, let's leave it there for today, but maybe we can talk more about that next week in terms of other resources and sources for people uh, to find out about COVID on days that aren't Mondays. Right. Um, so that's going to do it for the local coronavirus update for today. Thanks, Drew. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.